Wistful Thinking is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more movie and nostalgia podcasts, visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome to Wistful Thinking, the podcast where we revisit pop culture from our youth to see if it's as good all grown up. I'm Jordan Poland clark With me is my co-host, Kara Gallo regan Hello. And welcome to Matthew Lillard Month. <laughs> my... <laughs> My, I typed this, and it auto-corrected it to Matthew Willard, and I just had to work so hard not to say Matthew Willard. Brains are stupid. Anyway, and it's kind of surprise Matthew Lillard month, because we were, as I think we've talked about in previous podcasts. Oh yeah, we definitely talked about it. We were going to do Nora Ephron month, but... That didn't work out. We decided to make a hard left turn. Just didn't work out. (laughs) Because I recently watched several Matthew Lillard movies one weekend and was like, oh my god, I forgot what what a genius this guy is. What a, perhaps the best actor of a generation. And he just doesn't get, you know, enough uh, appreciation for all that spittle flying everywhere when he talks. Uh, Yeah, he brings it. He really does. Um... Yeah, so I am more excited about this than I was about Nora Ephron, because to me, like, while the Nora Ephron thing is interesting, I have zero attachment to any of her movies, Mm. and so for me, like, that really strays away from what this podcast is about, Mm. but, like, Matthew Lillard, I got stuff for days. (laughs) It was like falling into a black hole of nostalgia. (laughs) I'm not kidding, because I, I, what did I watch? I watched... The first Scream I watched, uh, Hackers, which is just so flawed and so perfect at the same time. I've not. I don't think I've ever seen Hackers. Oh, my dude, you have got (laughs) to see it. Uh, The costumes in it are amazing. Matthew Lillard, at one point, I mean, his costumes are just really all over the place because he's like the real weirdo of the movie. Also, his name is Serial in it. Yeah, yeah, it is. I just I, I did that. just read his IMDb and his name is straight up Serial. Like breakfast like, cereal. But serial killer I think is his full handle. But spelled okay. as cereal. It's spelled like breakfast cereal. Yeah. Um But at one point he wears this like cut off sleeve Lou like gold Lou Reed sweater that is just <laughs> incredible. And I want it so bad. Um and then I also watched SLC Punk, which we'll get to later this month. And I, going into watching that, like, I knew that I would be nostalgic about hackers. And I, I had, like, you know how sometimes we, like, watch something and we go into it being like, oh, yeah, this movie, like, lives in my bones. I'm going to be super nostalgic about it. Mm-hmm. And I completely forgot how many times I watched SLC Punk as a teen. And just, it was like, I felt like Alice in Wonderland, like when she like falls through the looking glass and she's like falling down that tunnel and all those things are like floating around her like that. But with like nostalgia for my younger, I was never an anarchist, but I definitely was a fan of chaos. You no, know. I know. But I know. So I haven't watched it yet. That's what we're going to do next episode. Um, but uh, yeah, like I also I also was like I wasn't like a punk but I like part of me really wanted to be (laughs) and this was like something that we could look to Mm -hmm. and it was just like 
so cool. It yeah. was so cool when it was out. Yeah, and it, it's still really good. And I was not, a, I was like, I turned it on being like, oh, well, at least he, at least Matthew Lillard is the lead in this because in the previous two movies, he's really like a sidekick. And I was like, man, I wish he was like the star of this movie. So I was like, well, at least he's the lead in this. And then I was like, oh my God. Okay, I'm going to stop you there because we're doing a whole episode on <sighs> okay. SLC Punk. Yeah. So we're going to save it. But and... even Scream was like an unexpected well, nostalgia bomb for me. I don't think we said this officially yet we watched well, we're Scream for Scream. this episode yeah. <laughs> we watched Scream I just watched it and I usually don't live alone but I am house sitting right now <gasps> oh, and spooky. I am alone and I am very scared well whatever you do do not pick up the phone if it rings not that anyone cool, calls people like, anymore we don't have phones like that anymore so <laughs> yeah. it's fine um but so I watched this very recently. As we record this, it was February third. I watched this on January twentieth, and then I watched it again today. I watched it this morning, and then right before we recorded this, I watched Scream Two, which is also amazing. It was really shocking. Um, so before we get into Scream, I want to give my quick Matthew Lillard intro. Oh, please do for anyone who's listening and is like, "What? Who's that guy?" <laughs> Um, I, I didn't do a ton of work on this, not gonna lie, but I did just browse a bunch of stuff, and so he, the first thing that he was really in was Serial Mom, which was in 1994. Mm -hmm. Um, he played the son of Kathleen Turner's character, who is a mom who's a serial killer. Which, if I'm Um, being real, I'm probably gonna watch tonight. I would be curious to hear your thoughts on it. I haven't seen it since it used to be on TV sometimes when I was a teenager. Mm. Um, so then, yeah, after that, we mentioned Hackers, Scream, uh, SLC Punk, uh, and then I, I think he's probably best known for playing Shaggy in Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, which I haven't seen any of, Gosh, even though I, I want love to. No. Scooby-Doo. Oh, really? No, I never want to. Oh, wow. Do you remember in college, I used to wear a child's nightgown with Scooby-Doo on it, like, as clothes <laughs> all the time? No. <laughs> uh, when I was young and thinner than I am now and could still fit into ch- children's nightgowns, <laughs> um, I had this like purple thermal child's nightgown that I got at a thrift store that had Scooby-Doo on it and I loved it so much. It's like a wardrobe staple for many years. Uh, I loved Scooby-Doo the cartoon, so I, I'm interested to see him as, as Shaggy in the uh, updated versions. All right, you'll give us a review. Yeah. Um, he was in, oh, right, he was in She's All That. So, like, between the years of 1994 and, like, 2001. He was a movie teen. He was a movie teen, yeah. And I feel like after Scooby-Doo, he kind of dropped off a little bit and did, like, I mean, if you A hundred Scooby-Doo's. He just did, like, a bunch of Scooby-Doo shit. Which, why wouldn't um, He's probably a billionaire. and video games. And, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, good for him. He's got work, like, um... But then last year, he was in the Twin Peaks revival. Oh, yeah. I saw that on his thing, which I have and not seen. And he was very good in it. I'm sure like, he was. Very well Because he's great. <laughs> yeah, he, he was. But but it was, it was um, really great to see him in something like that. That's like such a far cry from yeah. movie, movie teen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And and to also see him be really, really good in it. Yeah. 
He's apparently also in this movie that I have not seen, but I've really been meaning to because it's co-directed by and starring Cher. Um, and it's called If These Walls Could Talk. And it has her, Sissy Spacek, and Demi Moore as like three women of different generations that all have an abortion but live in the same house. Hmm. Um, and so I've really, that's been on my on my uh, list of things to see. I don't know if he plays a prominent role in that or not, but it is on his IMDb page. Um, apparently he's directed a few things, too. He directed a movie called Fat Kid Rules the World in 2012. A dropout comes to the aid of a chubby and suicidal high school kid by recruiting him as the drummer for his upstart punk rock band. So this seems like it's right in his wheelhouse. Add to watch list. I'll report back. <laughs> okay. And he's directing something that is not out yet called The Last Weekend in May, which has zero information on IMDb except for the fact that Lucy Liu is in it. Oh, okay. On Letterboxd, it has a synopsis. Paul and Leah are caught in the throes of an extramarital affair, knowing that the situation is untenable they decide to rent a house and turn their backs on quote-unquote real life one last time before calling it quits as the weekend progresses paul reveals he has left his wife and wants to convince leah to do the same interesting okay we'll report back if that ever comes out do i was i'm just thinking now about him and i i think that like he was my type Mm. like like the like goofy like sidekick yeah like, is what he often played <laughs> uh-huh and like yeah that was definitely my type well it probably still is <laughs> i don't know whatever i don't know who even knows <laughs> when i was making my confirmation so like in the catholic church it's like one of the sacraments is to make your confirmation i think when you're like 16 mm-hmm. i don't know my parents were like you have to keep doing this stuff until your confirmation and then you never have to go again and I was like fine fine so I just stuck it out but we had to go on some sort of retreat thing before that and one of the counselors there really looked like him and I was like you look like Matthew Lillard and you act like him too and he was like I have no idea who that is (laughs) that's all that's the story that's all there is to it so Scream came out in 1996 and was probably the first horror movie I ever saw. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, that like was We watched it in a sleepover and it was a big deal. Yeah. So Jenna, who was on our Adam's Family episode, I watched this in the basement of her mom's house <laughs> and like watching it again back in January, I like I was transported back in time to Jenna's old basement in my extremely baggy jeans with the weird animal print pockets, you know? And it was just like, oh my god, I, f- I feel like I'm whatever I was at the time, probably like 11 when I saw this. Um, yeah, it really freaked me out. Well, and yeah, I mean, I feel similarly. Like, I can like see we were at my friend Amy's house. It was like a big sleepover. A bunch of us were there. We used to like move all the couches around in her den and like close the glass doors and like spread our sleeping bags all out because that's where the big TV was. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were in there and, you know, there was like a couple girls who were like trying to scare the other girls and be like really mean about it. Ugh. There's always, um, there's always at least one. 
Usually two because one of them ropes the other one into it. Yeah, they Pure weren't. Pressure. They weren't. None of my friends were that mean though. Yeah. Um. It wasn't. It wasn't super extreme. Um. But but I think I think that we even like. So, so this movie is like credited with reviving the horror mm-hmm. genre, and. I think that's illustrated in the fact that even, like, you know, a bunch of 11-year-old girls were watching it at yeah. Sleepover in 1996. Yeah. Um, um, like, I, I the, didn't see it in 96. I definitely saw it probably in 1998. Um, I'm not sure exactly, but, yeah. Um, it was the first... Or rather, it was the first horror movie in a long time that had, like, super famous people in it. And, mm-hmm. like, that was a huge draw. Like, you know, we all knew who Drew Barrymore was. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all knew who Courtney Cox was, because she was on Friends then. There mm-hmm. were so many people in this that I forgot about. <laughs> and Nev Campbell, I, Party of Five. I, I knew she was in it. <laughs> um, well, the second one is even crazy i mean it's a real who's who of american teens and teen movies really scream too yeah it's crazy like i forgot jamie kennedy was in this this mm-hmm. was the first thing jamie kennedy was in yeah rose mcgowan this was the start of my like deep love for rose mcgowan but although she is she not looks terrible she with is hair. very yeah like she's very not rose mcgowan in this no she looks like she just walked out of adelia's catalog it's real weird yeah do you think that hair is real Oh, it's not, actually. Okay, uh, it definitely um, looks fake. Well, it is her hair, but she had dyed it blonde, because she oh. has black hair usually, and she had dyed it blonde to contrast with Nev Campbell's hair. <clears throat> it so looks like a wig. Yeah, it's a bad dye job. I mean, everybody has a bad dye job. And there are, like, a <laughs> lot of... It was the 90s. I know. There, yeah, like, there's just a lot of, like, frosty blonde. That's all. <laughs> so many frosted tips. <laughs> um... Like, there's, like, a scene where Courtney Cox and Nev Campbell are, like, talking to each other, and every shot is, like, a close-up of one of their faces, and it's just going back and forth, and when you get that close, you can see that they have, like, the exact same hair dye job. Yeah. Um, Um, how about that neon yellow skirt suit that Courtney Cox wears when you first meet her in this movie? Holy shit. (laughs) I want that suit so badly. (laughs) It's incredible. Um, Let's see. Who, so, well, uh, I, I just want to see Henry Winkler is yes, in this too, which so I forgot good. about. Well, he's uncredited in this because he didn't want his star, or the producers didn't want his star power taking away from the younger Ugh, actors. The producers, the, the Weinsteins. Yeah, unfortunately, this is a Miramax production. <laughs> I was is like, a real really, fucking I, bummer. I didn't pay for this. And I was really glad I didn't pay for this because yeah. of that. Um, oh, I just wanted to circle back to what you were saying about this being the first horror movie probably that you saw. Same here. But then, um, what, like, rewatching it and then watching Scream 2 today, it's, like, so refreshing after, you know, the, like, self-aware meta horror movie thing has been, like, beaten to death in the years since Scream. Well, the self-aware, like, the self-referential, like, yeah. culture, like, like that, that in general has all been over beaten the place. to death. Yeah. yeah. So, I, like, I forgot how fun that can be. <laughs> right, because this, this does it, and it does it very well. Yeah. 
which we talked about the faculty in our last movie, mm-hmm. which was also written by Kevin Williamson, and which also pulls a bunch of different like horror and sci-fi genre conventions into it, but not quite to the extent that this movie does, and it just executes this, it so perfectly. Yeah, this this isn't as subtle. Not that the faculty was like super subtle about it, but this is like you know one <laughs> one level up from that at least. Yeah. And yeah. They, they, yeah, they do a really good job. And they, and they, they do a really good job not, like, using, like, even when they're not being, like, meta and, like, trying to reference stuff, it's just a good horror movie. Like, yeah. They do a good job taking horror conventions that already exist and just using them well. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this is directed by Wes Craven. Like, it's not, you know. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> that helps. Um, yeah. It, and it's it's really scary. <laughs> like, it's still scary to me as a 31-year-old. As somebody who just watched it last month, I still was, like, gasping and jumping and, like, ah! Yeah. So there's, like, there's one part where they're watching, where they're watching Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I don't think it is Halloween. I think it's a which one is it? Movie. I mix them all up in my it's head. It's something with Jamie Curtis and <laughs> Jamie Lee um, Curtis. There and a door opens in it, mm-hmm. and I thought it was a door in the house that I'm in, and was just like legitimate. I had to pause the movie and get up and make sure that it wasn't a door in my house, and like look around all the corners. I got real scared. Have you made sure that all the doors are locked? <laughs> yeah, they are. Okay. Nobody locks their doors in this movie. I know. Well, so it makes me crazy. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, I've been watching the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix, which is uh, a documentary, like a four-part documentary of like a bunch of archival footage and and recordings and and interviews with people and stuff. It's actually very interesting. Um, and something that many people in the documentary talk about is how no one used to lock their doors. <laughs> In the 70s, like, part of the reason why he was able to, like, just sneak into places and murder people is because no one locked their doors or their windows. And so, like, when he would, like, go on these killing sprees, you, if you went to, like, a hardware store or something, like, all, like, you couldn't buy a lock because everyone had gone (laughs) and bought locks, like, in a panic, which I think is interesting. Because I grew up in a house with someone who locked everything all of the time to the extent that she once locked me out of the house while I was playing outside in the snow and I couldn't get back in because she also decided to vacuum, which is a great idea. That's so sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, I broke a window. It's fine. (laughs) Well, that's how they enter a lot of things in this movie, actually, too. Because everybody, like, not only are their doors not locked, but their glass doors are not locked. So there's a lot of, like, smashing through glass to get into places. Interestingly, in Scream 2, there is a scene that takes place in a recording booth, which the glass is, like, shatterproof, and Ghostface is, like, throwing things at the glass <laughs> and trying to break it, but it doesn't break. So, like, even from the first movie into the sequel, it's, like, the sequel is playing with conventions from the first movie. Did Wes Craven direct the sequel also? Yes, he did. In fact, this is the rare slasher franchise where the original director helmed every single movie in the franchise this has never happened before how or many since. were there i think four because definitely they dropped off after like two they weren't that good anymore right 
I don't know. I think I... I think that's the general consensus. I don't know. But I don't remember anything after this one. Yeah. I'm going to probably watch three and four in the next few days. I'll let you know. Um, But yeah, so um, they actually reference um, Nightmare on Elm Street in this movie a few times, which is uh, kind of what Wes Craven is probably best known for. Which one is Nightmare on Elm Street? That is uh, Freddy Krueger and Johnny Depp falls yeah, into yeah, his yeah, bed right. and then yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen Tower I've seen of all of them but they're like in a big like pile in my head that I can't like tear apart yeah I mean the only reason I can tear it apart is because I just watched a bunch of them uh they're, over Halloween. the janitor in this is dressed like Freddy Krueger mm-hmm. and which I never got before yeah and, and like somebody says something to the effect of like all the all those movies sucked anyway, or like all the sequels sucked anyway. And it turns out that Wes Craven had actually sold the rights to any sequels, like before they even made the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And so he is like deeply upset with like what happened to that franchise. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, there's a clueless reference in this movie. Hell yeah, there's a clueless reference in this movie. And I was like, I wonder if that's a clueless reference. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. They straight up said it. Yeah. <laughs> well, because somebody says as if, and then the other And then one he says it again. Yeah. He goes as if, and then he says it again, and then he goes, oh, really, Alicia? Yeah. So it was, like, drawn out? Yeah. Well, th- when I watched this last month, I, like, I had to pause it, and, like, in a flurry, I was trying to figure out, like when did Clueless come out and when was this movie shot and like what's happening and then I remembered that Clueless was actually made in 1995 because yeah, I thought they before. both came out in 96 and they did not so um this movie brings back together Nev Campbell and Skeet Ulrich who we have talked about on this podcast before because they starred in The Craft I think the year before this. Oh, yeah. I forgot that they were both in that. I don't know how I forgot that, but I did. Well, because they don't really interact with each other in it, but they were both in it. Yeah. No, um, they, they interact. Um, and he is just as awful in this as he is in that. Possibly like worse. The wor- I mean, he's a serial killer in this. Yeah, so but definitely I mean, worse. Yeah. I mean, in the ways that he treats um, women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Besides, you know, besides, yeah, besides murdering the murder. them in this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. he made me... He was, just, like, essentially the same asshole. Yeah. He made me angry in this. He made me angry in that, too. But he's, like, a real dick to Nev Campbell. Yeah. Um, he's, like, real rapey. Ugh. And, like, makes her feel guilt about her trauma. Oh, my God. And then is like, your mom died a year ago. Like, why aren't you Get over it. it. He literally is like, get over it. My mom left and I got over it. Yeah. Not the same thing, first of all. (sighs) Second of all, it takes a while to process grief. And then she is like, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But then I also do like that he talks about how fucked up that is later. Mm-hmm. Like, at least the movie bothered to reference that that was real fucked up. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I was going to say. Never mind. Oh, this is the third movie that we've done in a row that features an Alice Cooper song. <laughs> Which song? I didn't catch it. Uh, School's Out plays at one one point. Oh, I didn't even hear it. Oh, yeah, yeah because they don't have school. I did yeah. hear it. It was playing from a window to the mm-hmm. whole neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, like happens in real life. Obviously, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone positions their stereo to 
play out of the window. And then everyone in the neighborhood can hear it. And everybody loves that. Yeah. Also in this is a cover of Don't Fear the Reaper, um, originally by Blue Oyster Cult, which is a song that is playing in the car in Halloween when Jamie Lee Curtis and her friends are driving around smoking a joint. Mm. Um, Also, there's a Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds song in this that they also use in Scream 2. I paused it to Google what that song was because I liked it so much. Yeah. Yeah. Nick Cave is great. Uh, what else? Oh, you know who else has a uncredited bit part in this? Linda Blair of the Exorcist fame. Was, was she, who was she? She is one of the reporters. Like the, the one school. who comes up and has like one line? Yeah, she's wearing yeah. like a zebra print jacket. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was exciting. Oh, back to what I said about um, Rose McGowan looking like she walked out of Adelia's catalog. She actually, when they're having a sleepover, is wearing these cloud pajamas that I was, like, obsessed with and my mother wouldn't buy. <laughs> so I was Delia's? like, she has the cloud pajamas, yeah. And Delia's was so cool. The coolest. I just lusted after everything in those catalogs but they we were all, all so expensive yeah we all did wow and then I'm like looking... we'd go to my cousin's house who lived out in pennsylvania and there was a delia's outlet by them so sometimes we would go there and that was like the only time that i could ever shop at delia's because it was cheaper <laughs> i remember it was like a big deal when they got a delia's store at one of the malls yeah but it did make it a little bit less fun because the catalog <laughs> was fun. Yeah, the catalog. I don't know what about it was so enchanting, but it there was something. Something to it. Wow, you can still buy, essentially, Delia's clothing. Yeah, I think they, like, fired up the brand again. They like did. It's, it's, on a, it's a website called dollskill.com. Interesting. Is it dollskill or dollskill? I guess it depends who you are. Uh, yeah. yeah, and they have a bunch of like. Oh my yeah, god! They have they have a shirt that I used to have. They have Skittles, lip smacker, lip balm. Although I don't know, I feel like that didn't quite exist. No, but I did have didn't. Dr Pepper lip balm. Yes. Mhm. Oh my goodness! Which was the shirt that you had? Um, the one. So I didn't have it in this color. But there's a shirt on the left side, and it's, like, light blue, and it has, like, a rainbow going across the sleeves and the front. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I had that shirt in dark blue, and it wasn't a crop top. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a crop top No, now. it wasn't a crop top the <laughs> one that I had. But it was the same shirt. Yeah. Yeah, they're really uh, leaning into that rainbow aesthetic. It hurts my eyeballs a little bit, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Ooh. Silver lip gloss. It probably looks terrible on. Wow. Okay, scroll down further. The cow print stuff? No, past oh, that. I like it. The the things with the butterflies printed on it? Like the it's almost like a patch. It's not even like print. Mm, I haven't gotten there yet. I like the sunflower dress. Oh, it's right below that. Oh, okay. Love so they totally had a dress that had that mm-hmm. butterfly that like that was the thing I was lusting after that I never got to have. Yeah. Talk about a black hole of nostalgia. 
uh, they have a whole collection of soda flavored <laughs> lip smackers. They got a Coca-Cola one. They have three different flavors of Fanta, Barks Root Beer, Sprite, oh, and three different Coca-Colas, but no Dr. Pepper. That's unfortunate. Those don't sound good. No, they're probably terrible. <laughs> and also the Dr. Pepper one was terrible too, but... We definitely all had it though. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, this is not the portion of the show where we Google things and look at them. Oh. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's too soon for that. It's too soon. <laughs> oh, and I wanted that dress. I'm still doing it though. <laughs> okay. I'll do this later. I'll keep my Google image search up. Um, the movie that we were supposed to watch this week was When Harry Met Sally, which stars a young Meg Ryan. And in Scream, um, like right before they have sex she says something like oh he's talking about how everything's a movie life is a movie but you can't pick your genre and she was like why can't it be a reg a, a reg mayan movie i am okay <laughs> <laughs> meg ryan movie or even a good porno and then they have sex but i appreciated the meg ryan shout out there's also another meg ryan reference when somebody is talking about how they're going to make a movie out of all of this and somebody suggests that a young meg ryan could play sydney in the movie and she was like well with my luck they'll cast tori spelling and in Scream 2, there is a movie within the movie that they've made of what happened in Scream 1. And guess who plays Sydney? Tori Spelling? Yup. Yeah. I really appreciated that. I thought that was great. That's funny. Mm-hmm. They get, it gets funny at the end for a second when, um, I don't know their names in the movie. Billy and Stu? Are those the killers' names? Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich? Yeah, I think Spoiler, so. Spoiler, those are the killers. <laughs> and they have no motive. They're just psychos. It's the um, millennium. Motives are incidental. It's also not the millennium. <laughs> it's the mid This was 1996. <laughs> yeah. Too soon. Um... When they start stabbing each other, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really great moments of comedy, like, throughout the movie, but you're right. I think that it's, like, I was sitting there thinking, like, these two could, like, go on tour together as, like, a Laurel and Hardy. Hardy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because yeah. they're super duper different, uh-huh. but they're both, like, very really physical, un- unhinged, yeah, uh-huh. and, like, really physical in, like, really different ways, though. Yeah. Yeah, the two of them could really go on the road traveling vaudeville act um apparently a lot of matthew lillard's lines he just like improvised like all of the really funny ones that's all him his tongue could be a different character in this movie his tongue is a different character (laughs) (laughs) it's very long (laughs) it is uh (laughs) I really like it when he says, my mom and dad are going to be so it's, mad at me. I love that line. <laughs> yeah, that was a improvised. Uh, and Wes Craven thought it was so funny, so he kept it in the movie. Because he gets all scared for a second. He's like, wait, did you really call the cops? Yeah. Well, I, I think what's really interesting about this, and when I watched it last month, my letterbox review of it was, are young white men the scariest beings on the planet? Because I think they are. Um, And this movie really drives that home and drives home, like, the kind of disconnect from reality 
that these two characters have um the fact that like they can't really separate movie from reality and that he thinks that they could just murder a bunch of people and like like, get away with it get away with it uh or that like his parents wouldn't care that he's murdered a bunch of people you know (laughs) um yeah i find so i tried like a year ago to start listening to my favorite murder Mm. and i didn't like it and i don't generally like true even though I watched a well, bunch of murder I, stuff in the I last don't few either. Days. I don't like, don't like murder. Again. Not a fan. I don't like feeling like I'm watching victims get mm-hmm. exploited. Right. For our entertainment. I yes. think that's gross and yep. weird. And it makes us think of them as not real people. Mm-hmm. But I was like really bored today. And I'm like over all my podcasts. So I went back to it and I uh, tried it again. And really liked the couple of episodes that I listened to. It was just like a couple of the most recent ones. But they they do they did get into that. I don't know how often they talk about that. Like the thing mm-hmm. of like white men just like being like living in such a different reality. Um and I did find that conversation pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh well the reason I started watching the Ted Bundy tapes was that um did you know Celia? college yeah so Mm -hmm. somebody that we went to college with shout out celia quinette uh she works at the sundance channel and has been producing uh this podcast with amanda knox the woman who was wrongfully convicted of murder in italy back in the early aughts um and she's actually hosting this true crime podcast where they're like going back and re-examining cases that people think that they know the story about but don't really because you know the way that the media sensationalizes things and she at uh the sundance festival this year just interviewed um the director of the ted bundy tapes who is also the director of the narrative feature starring zach efron that's coming out about ted bundy um which everyone is pissed about and i get why and actually i've heard a lot of people be pissed about the documentary too so i have questions for you well i wasn't gonna watch it because people were upset about it but the interview with him i was like oh people don't are not getting (laughs) like you know um he was like because he's made a lot of really interesting documentaries uh he made the like documentary series about the west memphis three those like metal kids that got a accused and convicted of like child murder back in the 80s satanic panic and he made uh my brother's keeper and like a bunch of really great documentaries that are very empathetic and really um like don't sensationalize these kinds of things and really humanize the victims and um so what he had to say about true crime as entertainment um and about the the two films, I like. It was a great interview, highly recommended, and uh, definitely worth a listen. I think the podcast is called "The Truth About True Crime," um, but I would recommend taking a listen to that because, like, if people are upset that these films are like glorifying this person or or painting him in, in some sort of revisionist light, that's not what's happening like at all. Mm. They're just missing the point entirely. And also, I think that people get upset about things that they haven't actually seen, you know? Oh. Well, obviously, none of us have seen the Zac Efron movie yet. Right. 
But I'm really actually, but, I'm like, I really want to see that now. Because it's not necessarily like from the perspective of this woman, but like she's kind of the central character, uh, the woman that he was actually like in a relationship with while he was doing all of this murdering. Um, and then her like finding out and feeling this betrayal, um, which I think is an interesting way to approach it. Instead of, like, the movie being about him, necessarily. Yeah. Well, that was kind of the the women on My Favorite Murder. That was kind of their complaint about the documentary, is that so much of it was just, like, him talking. And they were like, fuck well, that. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, who it, cares? It, <laughs> who cares? Like, he said what he's going to say. Like, yeah. that's not new. Like, let's make it about the victims. Like, let's talk about the people that he victimized and stop talking about him. Well, they do. They do. They, they do. I mean, like, I, yeah, I haven't watched it. So. Yeah. Um, and... It's it's tapes that had not been previous previously released, so it is like new archival audio that people hadn't previously heard, and I think that it just is um, an interesting way to examine um, the effect that this person had, not necessarily like looking at I mean definitely looking at the crimes but like it it focuses more on the effect of like the surrounding communities and the people's families and stuff like that than it does necessarily on you know him but I guess you know everyone brings their own lens to things so that's another thing that one person could watch it and get one thing and somebody else could watch it and be like, Ted Bundy is hot, which is another response that people are having that I don't understand. Well, he was attractive and that's part of the reason he was able to do some of what he did. Isn't yeah. It? I, yes. But he wasn't like crazy attractive he either. Like he was, yeah, he wasn't Zac Efron. Um, but I think that he, he's like in this like space of generic white guy that is unimposing and also isn't like crazy hot because if you saw a crazy hot person you'd be like what's that person doing why are they talking to that woman that disappeared you know like he was able to kind of skirt by that and just skate by because that's what white guys are capable of doing because no one you know no one questions their what are you doing here? Why are you talking to that strange woman? Or, you know, whatever. Um, but also, there was something else I was going to say. And I don't remember what it was now. It's gone forever. I, I got <laughs> distracted looking at Zac Efron's abs. Cool. Great. Which is a thing I use. When I was on, um, oh gosh, what's the Zac Efron podcast called? Zack Attack. Please cut that out so Joey doesn't get mad at me. Um, he has too I- many podcasts. You don't need to know exactly what the name of them are. I don't need are. to remember the names. When I was on Zack Attack, it was like a three-hour long episode that like, I, could only, I couldn't even participate in part of it because they were just doing stuff that was just like so not related to me. Mm-hmm. And I definitely just spent like a solid 30 minutes of it just Googling pictures of Zack Efron and his nice. abs. He's so pretty. Yeah, he is. Anyway, close that tab. Well, speaking of things going on for too long, although I don't think that while you're watching the movie, it feels like it's going on for too long, but the party scene in Scream, 
runs 42 minutes long, which is crazy. It's like almost half the movie. Yeah, it's so long. It was shot over the course of 21 days from the time the sun set wow. to the time it rose. And after it wrapped, the crew had t-shirts made that read, I survived scene 118, which was the name of the scene wow. during shooting. I mean, a lot of stuff happens. Mm-hmm. The casting crew jokingly called it the longest night in horror history. But I don't think it's... Like, I can't think of any parts, and I'm like, that shouldn't have happened. Yeah, no, and it doesn't feel like it's too long. Like, I didn't realize how long it was until I read that trivia point, and I was like, oh, yeah, it is most of the movie. I got, I just, I got mad a lot of times in this movie. Okay, tell me about them. Well, I got really mad at Drew Barrymore. Why? Because she she kept kept flirting on the phone. (laughs) Like, just stop. Just Just don't. Stop answering it. I mean, she probably still would have gotten murdered. But yeah, like, she could have called the cops like 10 minutes before she did. Like, Mm -hmm. if somebody called me back twice, you know what? The third time. I think the third time is when I would be like, nope, 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 nope. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, some people, not great in a crisis. And also, you know, it like makes for a good movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I think that's that's one of the things that it does really well is like, good job, movie. You made me mad about this. You did that on purpose. She's being dumb and you know it. Yeah, because then she like, does she go? Up? No, she doesn't go upstairs. But the, she makes like a lot of no, but choices Nev where you're does. like, no, bitch, come on. Nev Campbell the does the whole thing where she's like. Where she, like, thinks she has horror movies all figured out. And she's yeah. like, and then the girl runs upstairs and blah, blah, blah. And then, like, five minutes later, she absolutely runs up the stairs <laughs> while the killer is chasing her. Yeah. What else made you mad? Uh... Look at my notes. I mean, Skeet Ulrich made me mad, but we talked about that already. I mean, all of the teenagers... Do, like, do you think this movie is a commentary on how shitty teenagers are? Because they were all terrible people. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, probably. I mean, like, but I don't know a comment so much as here's some teenagers. You they, know? But like, they literally get in their cars to drive to the high school so that mm. they can see their principal who was just murdered. Yeah. Like what? Like I think they were just like, oh shit, we need to get rid of all these people at this party, and that's yeah. how they did it. But like, I mean, that definitely helps. Also, those kids were drunk, and. I could totally see some bros being like, yo, let's go check this out. And then they get there and then they're like, oh no, this is actually way more serious than we thought. You know what I mean? Like, I think that until, until they actually like see a dead body, it's all still kind of fun and games for them, you know? Ew, gross. It is gross, but I think that that's true of a lot of people. You know, especially in this culture where, and they are commenting on this in the movie, um, where we are so desensitized to violence and we're seeing it happen in movies all the time. And I think the second scream is actually even more about this. Um, But they definitely comment on it in the movie that, like, you know, this is just, like, the same way that the, the murderers are detached from the reality of what it actually means to take a person's life i think on the other hand like the other bros at the party aren't that you know connected with that either no and that like teens in general don't really like unless they have lost somebody don't can't really comprehend what that actually means i certainly couldn't as a as a teenager you know 
No, we were all pretty dumb. Yeah. Not dumb, just like inexperienced and like, you know. This had an instance of computer technology that I was like, what is that? That's not real. When she called 911 by typing it in on her computer. Oh, no, you can do that. Can you do that? Yeah, and you could do it back then, too, I think. I was like, I was like, is this a the net situation or... <laughs> The use of caller ID increased more than threefold after this movie. <laughs> and in the second movie, she has caller ID. And, like, somebody crank calls her and is like, you don't know who this is. And she was like, actually, I do. And she, like, picks up the thing and reads the person's name. Um, there's actually, there's also in Scream 2 uh, a scene where she's in the library and somebody like instant messages her on the college intranet and she's like, I'm not even signed into instant messenger right now. And the person's like, no, but like if the person's also in the library, they can message you and it's like, you're going to die tonight. So more fun 90s tech. Yay. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, so at one point, during the party, Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox, she's the reporter lady, um, goes into the house with the cop um, and, like, plants a hidden camera. Is that... this where they met? I'm sorry. Yes, it is. You. Where uh, Courtney Cox and David Arquette met and eventually married. Okay. Um, so she, she plants this hidden camera that is facing out from the television. So it's, like... you seeing all the kids on the couch and there are um like a few shots that they use from that camera but then they also place another camera there with kind of like a widish lens and use a a few shots um that are like higher quality than the hidden camera would have been otherwise and like when i watched it last month i was like oh that's genius i had never realized that before that like that's the perspective that we're seeing these kids through in that Mm -hmm. scene um and also i think in the scene where uh jamie kennedy is by himself and watching (laughs) jamie lee curtis on the screen and saying look behind you jamie and And then the killer is behind him jamie look behind you yeah yeah also, the ca- Gail Weathers camera guy, the whole time, I was like, man, I really wish that was Danny McBride, because that guy looks well, yeah. like him, and it would have been so much funnier if that had been him. But he would have been, I feel like, too young. Maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. Probably not not working in Hollywood yet. Courtney Cox is funny when she's mean. Yeah, and they didn't want to cast her, because they... Like, she wanted to play this part to do something different than Monica on Friends, and they Mm -hmm. didn't want to cast her because of the way that she was, like, so nice as Monica. So, yeah, she is so good in this. Well, and she goes, like, straight up in the other direction, too, because she uses... Because she flirts with with Dewey to get what she wants. Mm -hmm. So she, like, flips a switch and is, like, real cute and real nice. Mm -hmm. And then is real bitchy again. Yeah, she is excellent in this. In the second movie, um, she's, like, super famous because she's published this book about the murders and whatever that has been adapted into this movie. Um, And somebody says something about how, like, nude photos of her had leaked. And she's like, that was only my head. It was on Jennifer Aniston's body. (laughs) (laughs) Made me laugh real hard. 
the film was sent to the MPAA over nine times for reconsideration because they wanted to uh, rate the movie as NC-17. Um, and each time the MPAA made Wes Craven cut out more of the film's uh, heavy gore shots. And uh, Bob Weinstein eventually had to step in, which secured the film's R rating. Wes Craven wanted to know what Bob Weinstein had said to the MPAA to give uh, to give the film its R rating, and he told them to view the film as a comedy and not a horror film, which completely changed the MPAA's viewpoint. Something tells me he probably said more than that, <laughs> because uh, he is also a renowned blowhard, much like his brother Herbie, although, um, as far as we know, not a sexual predator, question mark? Mm. Who knows? Uh... What else? Ooh, the uh, effects artists used about 50 gallons of fake blood, which is fun. All corn syrup dyed red, I'm, just like they talk about in the movie. I don't like the gore in this. But there's so little of it. I know. I don't like it. I just don't like... I mean, I don't like gore in general, unless mm-hmm. it's fun. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. gore is not fun. It's just gross. I like all gore. I don't. <laughs> Maybe not all, but I enjoy it more from like a effects enthusiast standpoint you know like i love that sort of thing like i've been i've only gotten two of them so far but watching the hellraiser movies and those are intense Mm. and have some like extremely serious gore that like even i'm like okay okay let's i just uh, like it's so much more fun when the gore is, like, a little bit creative mm-hmm. or, like, interesting or, like, I haven't seen it before. Mm-hmm. And this is just, like, stabby and gross. Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, I don't care for the gore, but it's a good movie, so that's it's okay with me. Mm-hmm. The high school scenes were supposed to be shot at Santa Rosa High School in California. However, very close to the shooting date, the school board actually read the script and <laughs> denied the film to be shot there due to its violent nature, as they had been under the impression that the film was a comedy and production was moved to Haroldsburg, California. As payback director Wes Craven put in the end credits under the special thanks section, quote, and in all caps, no thanks whatsoever to the Santa Rosa City School District Governing Board. <laughs> He's funny, huh? Yeah. Well, I I, I, all of his movies are, like, have some comedic element to them. And I think that, like, the most successful horror movies in general do. Like, Oh, definitely. Because you can't just be completely terrified the whole time. Like, like having a comedic element in horror movies kind of lets a little bit of the steam out so that you don't yeah, explode. Yeah, like that feeling has to break somewhere. You can't just... Yeah. Like, Freddy Krueger is hilarious. Like, as a, as a character, he's actually very funny. <laughs> um, although he scared the ever-living shit out of me as a child. <laughs> and it, like, took me a really long time before I was like, okay, I'm going to actually watch one of these movies. Uh, Craven discovered the ghost face mask while scouting for filming locations in California. Craven was walking through a possible filming house and inside one of the rooms he saw a mask hung on the wall. He sent a photo to Dimension Films and they told him to have the props department make a mask similar to the mask in the bedroom, but not exactly like it because they didn't own the rights to the mask. So they based the mask on that and a few other things like the painting Scream by Edvard Munch. 
the characters on the cover, the character on the cover of Pink Floyd's The Wall, and the ghostly characters that appeared in the 1930s Betty Boop cartoon. So this uh, costume did not exist before this movie. That's what I couldn't remember. No, that this movie invented it, and they call him Ghostface a bunch, but on the actual like costume that Dewey brings to the police station like he's gone out and bought one I think it's called um, like Father Death or something mm-hmm. like it's, it's kind of a, a play on the Grim Reaper um, but they liked that the mask um, depicted a caricature of someone like screaming and crying at the same time <laughs> and their effects artists said that it displayed different emotions a horrible look it's a sorry look and it's a frantic look so it's like all of these things rolled into one the robe was originally supposed to be white and then they realized that it made him look a little bit too much like he was in the Ku Klux Klan so they Oof. made it black I which like I think black. was a great it's like black yeah. and the way it's cut mm-hmm. it like really like like um flaps around in the air yeah um when the killer is like moving quickly towards somebody which makes it like scary and fun (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and it's also like this is a character who like unlike michael myers not mike myers as we covered last month the other michael myers uh the one from halloween who is just like this lumbering you know, plotting for presence. Ghostface, it, like, relies on being able to hide and move quickly and and that sort of thing. And it would have been, a, like, impossible to be somewhat inconspicuous in a white rope. You know, it would have been, like, a completely different character, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, Bob Weinstein watched parts of the first scenes filmed, like, in a, like, dailies. And he said uh, that the mask used was idiotic, so he asked the producers to film one scene with seven different masks and then let him choose which one he liked the most. And the producers did not agree to that and threatened (laughs) to shut down the production and told him to wait until the first sequence, Drew Barrymore's whole scene, was completed and then he could decide. And then after watching it, apparently he happily agreed to the mask used and allegedly didn't make another complaint for the rest of the filming. Again... (laughs) I have a hard time believing that, but you know. <laughs> uh, David Arquette uh, says in the movie that he is 25 years old, which would make him approximately seven years older than most of the other lead actors who are in high school. However, in real life, Arquette is roughly the same age as most of his co-stars and is slightly younger than Skeet Ulrich, Matthew Lillard, and Jamie Kennedy, who all play high school, high school students. Yeah, Jamie think- Kennedy in Scream 2 the oldest college student I've ever seen. <laughs> he looks think, like an old man. I think Rose McGowan or Nev Campbell, I forget, were the, was the youngest at 20, 21, I think one of them was. Yeah. Or like 22. Like, they were all old. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's a high school movie for you. Sure. Uh, Rose McGowan said that this was her favorite filming experience of her career. Aw. Yeah. The only thing that I feel like wasn't like almost wasn't tied up enough until it was was that her dad was missing the whole time mm-hmm. like just like nobody seemed it it gets mentioned like once or twice <laughs> before the party scene yeah and like nobody seems that worried about it 
Like, I don't know. She doesn't just, seem that worried about it. She's got other things that she's dealing with. Her dad with. is literally a missing person, and she's a child who's been left home alone with no parents. And her mother was murdered exactly a year ago, sure. Like, shouldn't she be, like, <laughs> losing her shit that they can't find her dad? Like, yeah. I would be at the police station being like, I'm gonna stay here till you figure this out. Yeah. Yeah, but then the rest of the movie wouldn't happen. No, I know that, but that was the only thing that I was like, I don't buy that part. Yeah, I mean, the the reason that I buy it is that like it's this like small rural police department, and there's somebody out there murdering teenagers, and like missing persons cases are not a huge priority. But he's also a missing person of one of the people who's being stalked by the killer. Like, and also a it's potential very related. Definitely agree. Uh, but, like, you can't even report someone missing if, like, they've been gone for less than 24 hours. And, you know, it's like... I don't know. It, it did not bother me. But I, I get what you're saying. That's my only, like, true complaint. That's fair. I think. The film's original title was Scary Movie. What would Scary Movie have been called if this I was know, called right? Scary Movie? Perhaps Scream. I think Scary Movie is a better title for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they say the term Scary Movie about five or six times. They do also say the word Scream a bunch of times, though. Mm, too. Fair point. Both could be titular lines. Mm-hmm. Ooh, there was a five-page treatment for Scream 2 at the end of the screenplay. So, which was also written by Kevin Williamson. And then uh, after the first Scream was a hit, they developed it into a full script. But I think that's why, like, part of the reason that Scream 2 is so good because it's, like, it's planned, you know? It's, like, part of the first movie or was, like, mm-hmm. constructed with the first movie, mm-hmm. um, which I appreciate. I think that's really interesting. Oh, they wanted to cast Molly Ringwald as Sydney Prescott, but she turned it down, saying she'd rather not be playing a high school student at the age of 27. That's... She was only 27? I know. <laughs> the what, same was thought. she, like, 12 in the 80s? No, but I think she was maybe 14. She was in... appropriately cast in the movies that she was in. She wasn't a yeah. 21-year-old playing a high school student. No, she was age-appropriate. And that was, um, like, John Hughes, like, insisted on that I think everyone but um the blowhard whose name I can't remember Nelson yeah that guy everyone but him were like actual teens in the breakfast club oh fun fact the boyfriend in Psycho Hitchcock's Psycho was named Samuel Loomis now in this movie Skeet Ulrich plays what's his first name uh, Billy Billy Loomis so they they took that name um, and then Samuel Loomis was the doctor in Halloween and so in this movie when the teens are wa- oh they are watching Halloween um, and in Halloween H2O the teens are watching Scream 2 it's all <laughs> all full circle that's funny that's yeah. cute yeah Oh, God. At one point during filming of the opening scene, somebody forgot to unplug the phone that Drew Barrymore was using trying to call the cops. So it actually resulted in a real 
911 call. <gasps> oh no. <laughs> Puzzled operators oh, hearing no, Drew Barrymore no. screaming for her life at the other end of the phone. That's so horrible. Yeah, it kind of is. I what so I'm trying to think of what like what happened after this as far as like horror movies go. Mm-hmm. So like obviously this also gave us I know what you did last summer. Also a Kevin Williamson movie. Yeah, which was like the other big like teen horror movie franchise of the mm-hmm. late nineties, early two thousands. And also and Final Destination. What? Yeah, okay, Final Destination. Um, let's see. Cause like Host. definitely horror movies are all over the place everywhere now but Mm -hmm. so I was just trying to like think of like the trajectory in my brain of like how we got where we are now yeah Scream 96 I know what you did last summer 97 Scream 2 97 Campfire Tales 97 The Faculty 98 Urban Legend 98 Disturbing Behavior 98 Dead Man's Curve 98 Halloween H2O I've been waiting for you Bride of Checky I still know what you did last summer because at a certain point idle hands remember that one like that one because i liked seth green yeah i just want to say seth green house Um, on haunted hill remake teaching mrs tangle sleepy hollow the rage carry Two, one of my recent favorite movies scream three cut cherry falls dracula 2000 ginger snaps urban legends final cut Final oh Final Destination the first one came out in two thousand. Ooh Jeepers Creepers. You know what else is on this list? What? Jason X. Ooh. Which is an like another example of a very meta horror movie. That was scary. I'm very scared now. I dropped my water bottle, <laughs> but I was like legit scared. <laughs> uh, swim fan is on this list. Ooh. I liked that one. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's terrible. But I get, yeah, like, I guess what I'm trying to think of is, like, other original horror movies mm-hmm. that weren't just, like, spin offs of old franchises or, you know, eventually just, like, the fourth one yeah. in its own series. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's um, some on this list. I think most of them are remakes or sequels. Yeah, because then everything was a remake for a while. Everything is still a remake. And everything is still a remake. <laughs> but in, again. in horror movies, is that happening as much as it was happening like five years ago? Uh, you know, or ten years ago? Maybe not. I think um, there is a renewed... The way that like Scream made people interested in horror movies, I th- again, I think that there has been a renewed um, interest in horror movies in the last Well, because years. there's been a lot of really incredible, yeah. very people original horror movies. People are taking the genre movies. seriously again, yeah. which is nice. Oh, they remade Black Christmas in 2006. I just, I watched the first one back in December for the first time, and that was really good. Um, Which predates Halloween and was described to me as Halloween, but at Christmas. Um, And it's so much more than that, uh, because it takes place in a sorority house. I think I've slept through the remake of it. (laughs) Uh, Michelle Trachtenberg's in it. Yeah, I've definitely slept through that. Yeah, Uh, I haven't seen the remake, but the the first one is really good. And it is, in the first one, the first example of the call coming from inside the house to be used in film. Hmm. And because it was like 1970-something, in order to trace the call... A man had to physically run through a warehouse of all of these, I don't know what they are, cables or something, like literally tracing the call, trying to find like what cable it's coming in on. Whoa. 
physically running through a warehouse. And I was like, wow. It used to be really hard <laughs> to oh, find I things think, out. Uh, I think the other notable horror film that we haven't mentioned yet, not because it's good, is Cabin Fever. Because oh, that, but that, that gave good. us... Wait, I is it don't, good? No. I'm thinking about Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> because that gave us Eli Roth, though. I think that was the... From remembering it right, that was, mm. like, the first thing he did that, like, was people knew well. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it has one of my favorite lines in a movie. Um, like, it's, it's... I remember watching it and it being one of the first times that I, like, unprompted just like unexpectedly laughed hysterically at a line in a shitty horror movie mm-hmm. and it's like so they're at this cabin and like this like homeless-ish guy is like trying to because cabin fever is about like a they get infected with a virus i think mm-hmm. yeah, and it spreads right. and so this guy comes up to them and they're all scared and they kill him by lighting him on fire and then they're talking about the events of it later, and one of the main characters is like, you guys, he asked for our help. We lit him on fire. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know why I'm laughing at that. Because it's, it's funny. It is funny. No, it's very funny in the movie, too. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and Saw. Yeah. I guess is the other series that I, was. When did that start, though? I don't know. Well, because Eli Roth made Hostel. Right? Mm-hmm. And that became a whole thing, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah, the first song was true. 2004. So definitely, like, it, as part of that way of, of post-Scream movies. House of a Thousand Corpses. We got a couple gross Rob Zombie movies. Oh, yeah. There. I like those. Oh, I don't. That's, like, creative gore that I can't deal with. Yeah. It I mean, very they're gross. intense. They're very Ooh. intense. It's like, what is Kevin Williamson doing now? I don't know, but I just saw this interesting uh, piece of trivia from Scream. Uh, the Marco Beltrami, the guy who did the score, decided to intentionally disregard conventional horror score styles. He approached the film instead as a Western, taking influence mm. from Ennio Morricone, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. And I was admiring the score while I was watching it, but I don't know if it... It didn't not feel like a horror movie. No, it felt like a horror movie. Yeah. The sound design is pretty great mm-hmm. to, in general. Like, there is a lot of outside noises, like a lot of bird noises yeah. every time they were outside. Which is like added a, good... a layer that was completely unnecessary, but that mm-hmm. I really liked. Yeah. And then there was a lot of like knife sounds even when there weren't knives. That. Yeah. <laughs> ding ding ding. Like when I wish um, knives made that sound. I know it's life. such a beautiful sound, but it would be scary because now we're all trained to think that it means murder. <laughs> oh, interesting. Matthew Lillard was cast as Stu by chance after accompanying his then-girlfriend to an unrelated audition taking place elsewhere in the same building. Casting director Lisa Beach saw Lillard in the hallway and asked him to audition for the part. He got into the role with, quote, incredible ferocity, which I think we see plenty of in the film. How good do you have to be to just be, like, walking by a casting director and they're like, you! What did I say? The greatest actor of his generation. (laughs) To just be like emanating <laughs> vibes of you should cast me in your movie. <laughs> she probably saw that tongue. Yeah, he was probably sticking it out while he just walked. 
Oh, interesting. I forgot that this happens in Nightmare on Elm Street. At the beginning of the film, Billy, played by Ski Ulrich, climbs through Sydney, Nev Campbell's bedroom window, startling her just like Glenn, played by Johnny Depp, did to Nancy. Mm, that's why they cast Nightmare him, because he looks like Johnny He's Depp. He's Bobo to Johnny Depp. We have talked about this. Have yeah. we? Yeah, I blocked it out. I believe yeah. you. Is he... You like him in Riverdale? We came to the conclusion that he's a way better person than Johnny Depp. Yes, he's excellent well, in Riverdale. Like, he's way sexier like as a dis- distinctive older man. Or maybe like, I'm yeah, just older everything, I, I can't even think of anything else that I've seen him in, but based mm-hmm. on the craft and scream, I hate him. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Um, I mean, he's not like a great guy in Riverdale. He's actually like the head of a biker gang, but, you know, with a heart of gold. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Because right. his heart is not gold in those two movies. No. He's really good at being, like, skeezy and rapey. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. The producers had originally intended to use Roger Jackson, who is the voice on the phone, his voice as only a placeholder, uh, and then dub it over during post-production. But then they decided that his contribution was perfect, and they kept it. Wes Craven described it as intelligent and evil voice that would become irreplaceable to the franchise. Which I, I also read that and found that... Um, a little bit surprising because I assumed that it was Skeet Ulrich's voice mm-hmm. because the um, just like the inflection of his voice sounds mm-hmm. so much the same. Yeah, and even when he like speaks into the voice modulator, like in the big reveal, you know, towards the end of the movie, it's it sounds like him. Yeah, this is pretty wild. Director of photography Mark Irwin was fired a week before shooting was to end. Director Wes Craven, upon reviewing the dailies, found the footage was out of focus and unusable, and uh, Irwin was ordered to fire and replace his camera crew, Uh, but when Irwin responded that they'd have to fire him too, they did just that. Which seems kind of crazy that they would, like, wait that long. Yeah, that seems weird. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you think they would have known before then. Yeah. Well, came out fine. Yeah. Interesting. The opening with Drew Barrymore lasts for 12 minutes. So combined with the party scene, which is, what what did I say, 42 minutes? That's 52 minutes in a movie that is... It's probably an hour, the rest of it. Yeah, okay, an hour and 51 minutes. But really, but it's true that, like, those are by far the most memorable parts. Like, everything mm-hmm. in the middle is just, like, moving the plot along. Mm-hmm. Like, the principal gets murdered in there... I love that scene of Henry Winkler alone in his office with the scream mask. <laughs> it's so funny. When he opens the, the door to his closet, there's actually his uh, Fonzie leather jacket in there. I didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. Well, the guy who wrote the score landed the job after Wes Craven's assistant was on an internet chat site asking if anyone knew of any fresh musical talent. <laughs> That's insane. Okay. <laughs> Can you imagine if somebody used the uh, internet for that now? Man, the 90s, the internet in the 90s, I miss it. I mean, the internet is definitely way more useful now, but, like, it was a real wild west back then. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. At least 15 scary movies are mentioned throughout the film. They are The Bad Seed from 1956, The Howling, 1981, Terror Train, 1980, Prom Night, 1980. I think they bring that one up 
several times. Uh, the Town That Dreaded Sundown, 1976. Nightmare on Elm Street, of course, 1984. Evil Dead, 1981. The Exorcist, 1973. Friday the 13th, 1980. Halloween, 1978. Carrie, 1976. The Silence of the Lambs, 1991. Psycho, 1960. Hellraiser, 1987. And The, che- the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974. I didn't catch most of those. Uh, not all of them are mentioned by name. Like, um, at one point, somebody calls somebody Leatherface, mm-hmm. which is from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, and uh, they don't mention the town that dreaded sun down by name, I don't think. But the um, whole curfew thing references that. Oh, what a shame. Elizabeth Berkeley auditioned for the role of Gail Weathers, but was immediately turned down due to the backlash she received for Showgirls. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Despite competition from other box office fairs, such as Jerry Maguire and Mars Attacks, which we have to get to at some point. Oh, Mars Attacks is so good. So good. Um, it was. It's released during the Christmas season, and Variety labeling it DOA before it was even released, it became the 15th highest-grossing film of 1996. Well-placed among big-budget blockbusters released that year, such as Independence Day and Mission Impossible, it is shown in theaters for nearly eight months after its release. And even when it first came out, they thought it was a flop, Um, but then word of mouth was so good that it wound up grossing like 300 million dollars or something crazy it's still the highest grossing if you adjust for inflation it's the highest grossing horror movie ever wow bob weinstein approached robert rodriguez danny boyle george romero and sam raimi to direct kevin williamson said they didn't get it and he was (laughs) concerned that having read the script many of the directors believed the film to be purely a comedy that's so interesting it makes me really want to read yeah i wonder what the script script. reads like yeah i bet it's on the internet but like any one of those guys would have made a great movie (laughs) you know yeah totally after filming was completed craven spent two months editing the final product and i think the editing of this is really good it is really good when uh, Rose McGowan sees Ghostface in the garage and thinks that it's Randy, she teases by saying, what movie is this? I spit on your garage? And she's <laughs> referencing I spit on your grave from 1978. That joke well, um, made me laugh. I like that um, the thing, like they they set up the characters so that they don't they think that the killer is a joke a bunch of times in the movie. Mm-hmm. So their initial reaction to a person in the killer's outfit is not to be scared. It's to like, you know, fuck with them, which, which is I think super is so fun. Real. Yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like that's exactly how teenagers would react, which is just like, what, stop fucking around, you know? And again, like, again, goes back to what we were talking about before about like the bros wanting to go see the, you know, principal hanging from the goalpost on the football field. Like they, they can't take it that seriously because it's not that serious to them, you know. 
God, there's so much trivia to this. I just realized I'm only halfway down the page. I can't keep going. But um, I'm sure all the good stuff was at the beginning. Here's hoping. I will read this one, though, because it's uh, about where the story came from, which is that screenwriter Kevin Williamson was partially inspired by a real-life series of student murders in Gainesville, Florida in 1990, perpetrator by killer Danny Harold Rowling, who was later dubbed the Gainesville Ripper. He was inspired to draft an 18-page script treatment about a young woman alone in a house who was taunted over the phone and then attacked by a masked killer. The treatment remained as a short story while Williamson worked on another script, Teaching Mrs. Tingle, a thriller that he would eventually sell but which would languish in development hell for many years. Struggling to pay his bills, Williamson secluded himself in Palm Springs and focused on the development of his scary movie treatment, hoping for a quick sale to meet his financial needs. Over the course of three days, Williamson developed a full-length script, as well as two separate five-page outlines for potential sequels, Scary Movie 2 and Scary Movie 3. Oh, I didn't realize he did three, too. Wow. Okay. Uh, he hoped to entice buyers with the potential for a franchise. In an interview, Williamson said that uh, the one reason he focused on the scary movie script was because it was a film he wanted to watch, born of his childhood love of horror movies such as Halloween, but nobody else was making it. So because no one was making these movies, he just was like, I'm going to do it, yeah. which is cool. Oh, there's a scene where Dewey is talking to his boss at the police station, and he's licking an ice cream cone, and his boss is smoking a cigarette, and they're both, like, doing it in tandem. I love that part. It made me laugh so hard. It was and great. I, and by the end, he kind of looks embarrassed about his ice cream cone, and he, like, yeah. doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. And I had I had never noticed that scene before, and then this time, it, like, made me laugh so hard. Yeah. The only other thing that I wrote down was, uh, quote, hey, it's called tact, you fuck rag. <laughs> that's all I got. Yeah, that's all I got, too. Cool. Carrie, you got anything to plug? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at bimps, B-I-M-P-S-E. Uh, find all of my appearance, appearances, appearances on other cage club podcast network shows at cageclub.me slash cara with a c eh, that's that's it cool you can follow me on instagram at jordo pc uh we will be back next week with an episode of what am i chewing and in two weeks we'll be back to talk about slc punk bye
Green paper in his red right hand. 